Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Dr. Benjamin Gilbert West and Lord Littleton were from Cambridge. They were so fed up with Christianity that they wanted to destroy it. So they took a leave of absence to study and write a book to refute both the resurrection of Christ and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. As a result of their study, they became ardent believers and wrote, Reject not until you have examined the evidence. Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a skeptic from Harvard Law School. He'd written three volumes on the law. In his classes, he mocked any Christian that was there, but he was challenged by Christian students to apply his own book to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he took up the challenge and found the evidence so convincing, he became a believer and later wrote, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the best established facts of history. Josh McDowell entered college as a young man looking for a good time and searching for happiness and meaning in life. While in college, he noticed a group of students in a Bible study. He became intrigued by the radiance of one of the young ladies. He asked her a reason for it. She smiled and said, it's Jesus Christ. He came back at her. Don't give me that garbage about religion. She replied, I didn't say religion. I said Jesus Christ. The students in the Bible study invited him to examine the claims of Christ and the evidence supporting Christianity for himself. He accepted the challenge. After much study and research, he finally admitted that he couldn't refute the body of proof supporting Christianity and it softened his heart and he trusted Christ as his personal Savior. One of the major factors in his conversion was his inability to ignore the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. A student at the University of Uruguay once asked him, Professor McDowell, why can't you intellectually refute Christianity? McDowell replied, for a very simple reason. I am not able to explain away an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These men all sought to find a dead Jesus. Instead, they found a living Savior. In John eleven twenty five, the Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Our hope of our own resurrection and eternal life is based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death in the grave is only a door through which we pass into eternal life and glory. And one day our Savior will raise our bodies from the grave and join soul and spirit to our resurrected bodies to dwell with Him eternally. Luke 24, verses 1 to 3 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke begins by stating that it was the first day of the week. The first day of the week is based upon the weekly Sabbath that God instituted for Israel under the law. 
Matthew stated in his account of the resurrection in the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. The Sabbath was the last day of the week on Saturday, and of course the first day of the week was Sunday. As a result of Christ's resurrection, the first day of the week has become the day of gathering and worship for the church. Our Apostle Paul spoke of believers in the body of Christ assembling together upon the first day of the week in 1 Corinthians 16.2. We continue that to this day as our weekly Sunday worship commemorates the Lord's resurrection who rose again on the first day of the week. And as we meet on Sundays at the beginning of each new week, we do so in worship of our living, risen Savior and in thanksgiving for the newness of life and hope that we have in Him. It's dawn on Sunday morning, very early in the morning, verse 1 says. Matthew 28, verse 1 describes the time as, as it began to dawn. Mark 16, 2 says, at the rising of the sun. John 20, verse 1 says, when it was yet dark. As we'd put it in our vernacular today, we'd say, at the crack of dawn. Verse 1 says that they came unto the sepulcher. Who are the they? We learn about them in the previous chapter. Luke 23, 55-56 reads, And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. The they in verse 1 of chapter 24 is the women which came with him from Galilee. There's a small group of Galilean women who came to the tomb on resurrection morning. They had followed him in Galilee and from Galilee. They had come with him and the apostles for the Passover in Jerusalem and followed him all the way to the cross. That all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. These women had stood afar off beholding him and thus they saw him on the cross. They saw the three hours of darkness from noon till 3 p.m. They heard Christ cry out with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Then they saw his body being taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea. Then some of the women followed Joseph and saw the tomb where he was laid, and they observed how his body was laid, Luke 23, 55 says. They watched Joseph and Nicodemus as they prepared his body for burial. The women saw it all, except for John. The other disciples had scattered and were in hiding, but the women weren't hiding. They courageously followed him. They saw his death, they saw his burial, and they saw his resurrection. And as E.S. Barrett correctly observed, women last at the cross and earliest at the grave. Out of their love for the Lord, they wanted to have a part and to finish preparing the Lord's body for burial. They probably wanted to do this because they observed the process being done in haste prior to the Sabbath by Joseph and Nicodemus. And they might have thought that those men didn't do a good enough job. It's only a possibility. The Lord died on the cross a little after 3 p.m. The Sabbath began at 6 p.m. 
By the time Joseph of Arimathea took the body down and he and Nicodemus finished preparing the body and rolled the stone in front of the tomb, it was probably around 5 p.m. In Luke 23, 56, it says that these women then returned and prepared spices and ointments. They had maybe an hour left that evening before the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. to finish preparing these spices for Sunday morning. They couldn't do this on the Sabbath because they couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. But they got it done in time and were ready to bring those spices back on Sunday morning. And the first chance they got early in the morning after the Sabbath was over, they came to the tomb. The women came that morning still stunned and in shock, grieving the Lord's death. When they arrived, they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. As we looked at last time, the Greek word for rolled away means to roll off or away and speaks of separation. The stone was rolled away a distance away from the entrance. The stone, as is often pictured in pictures, wasn't just moved a foot or two, just a crack to allow someone to squeeze in. The entrance was the entrance was there and the stone was over here and the entrance was wide open. And when they got to the tomb, they didn't hesitate at all. They went just, they went right in. And when they did, it says in verse 3, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. They had worked on these spices, had them all prepared. And when they got there, there was no body to use them on. All they saw was grave clothes, but no body. This group of faithful women were the first eyewitnesses to the wonder and reality of the empty tomb. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contained the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London is renowned because in it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables. Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones that it contains. The Taj Mahal was built as a memorial to a wife of one of India's shahs. Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is revered for it is the honored resting place of many outstanding Americans who serve their country. The tomb of Jesus Christ, however, is eminent, not because of what is inside, but because it is empty. It has been said well that the empty tomb is a silent testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has never been refuted to this day. The tomb of Christ was only a 15-minute walk from the center of Jerusalem to where Christ had been buried. So the empty tomb could have been easily confirmed or disproved by people who went to inspect it and see for themselves if it was true. And the Jewish leaders were unable to disprove the fact that the tomb was empty, and they would have been the ones that tried the hardest to disprove it. Instead, they bribed the soldiers to lie and say that Christ's disciples stole the body. This explanation was an admission that the tomb was empty. And after Christ arose, the apostles did not go to Athens or to Rome thousands of miles away to preach that Christ had risen from the dead. Instead, they stayed and preached in Jerusalem, the very city where if what they were teaching and preaching about the resurrection and the empty tomb was false, it could have been easily refuted. But since it was true, 
that the tomb was empty. The people who heard the apostles had to admit that they were right and couldn't deny the empty tomb. And when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem heard that the disciples were preaching that Christ was risen, instead of denying that the resurrection took place or that the tomb was empty, in their rejection of Christ, they threatened the apostles, beat the apostles, and imprisoned the apostles to try to shut them up. The way Luke puts verse 3 is also very interesting. He says, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. In Luke 23:52 it says Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus. Luke could have said that the women found not the body of Jesus like a few verses earlier. But having risen again victorious over sin and death, he is Lord. Lord of life, Lord over death, Lord over all. The women found no body in a tomb in which the Lord's body was stoned in by a two-ton stone, sealed in by a Roman seal, guarded by highly trained Roman soldiers, all for the purpose that the body would remain there, yet the body was gone. There is no explanation for the empty tomb on a purely human level. The only explanation is the truth of Scripture. Christ, who promised to rise again, rose again. By the power of God, He, the resurrection and the life, stood up. And in His resurrected body, He walked out of the tomb through the stone wall. The angel came later and flicked the stone away so all could see that the tomb was empty and Christ was risen. The women women stood there in the empty tomb, perplexed and in shock, not expecting to come that morning and find the body gone. And then came another shock. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. 2 Corinthians is a hardcover, 240-page verse-by-verse commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm. It is interesting, indeed, to note how many profound doctrines are discussed in 2 Corinthians, in contrast to all the rebukes, corrections, and instructions found in 1 Corinthians. Two of the greatest of these are the New Covenant and the Doctrine of Reconciliation. May its truths have their God-appointed effect on our lives. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Luke 24, 4-9 reads, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? 
saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulchre, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. The first great evidence of the resurrection that confronted the women was the empty tomb. The second great evidence of the resurrection was divine revelation from two angels. Standing there in the tomb in the early dawn, the women are perplexed. They have no idea what occurred. They weren't looking for the living. They were looking for the dead. They were looking for the Lord's body. The scene of the empty tomb troubled and confused them all. While they were still trying to reason it out, they're jolted by two men suddenly appearing and standing beside them. They were arrayed in shining garments. Later in the chapter, these two men are called angels. The two on the road to Emmaus, who unknowingly unknowingly to them were talking to the Lord, told him, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. Two spiritual messengers from heaven appeared as men in shining garments inside the tomb. The fact that there were two of them is a reminder of Deuteronomy 19.15, which says, At the mouth of two witnesses shall the matter be established. Two witnesses were needed under the law to establish a truth and validate things, and here two angels appeared to give divine testimony to the truth of Christ's resurrection. The two angels is also a reminder of the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, with two angels on top of the Ark, one cherubim of gold on both ends of the mercy seat. God promised to meet with His people between the cherubim, Exodus 25:22 says, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. Here between these two angels in the empty tomb, God met with his people. Their words were divine revelation and personal testimony from the Father through his angels to the, speaking to the reality of his son's resurrection. The angels had shining garments. The word shining is used also in Luke 17, 24 to speak of a flash of lightning. So the clothes were brilliant, bright white, like a flash of lightning. They lit up that dark tomb in the early morning hours. Their shining garments were a reflection of the glory of God in heaven from where they had come. Their appearance is a reminder of the Lord's birth in the angelic appearance to the shepherds. Luke 2.9 And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The reaction's the same by the women as the shepherds at the appearance of these divine messengers from heaven. The women, too, like the shepherds, were afraid, and out of their fear in recognition of being in the presence of persons who were holy, heavenly, and powerful, they bowed their faces to the ground. The angels then spoke. And as angels announced Christ's birth, angels made the first announcement that He is risen. They told the women, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. 
Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Their question is a mild rebuke of their poor memories and lack of faith. It puts forward why they should not be perplexed by the empty tomb. Why do you seek the living among the dead, they ask? Why do you seek the one who is life among the dead? Why do you seek the one who death could never hold? He is not here. He is alive. There is no other explanation for the empty tomb than that Christ rose again. The Jewish leaders did not steal his body. The Roman guards did not steal his body. The disciples did not steal his body. No one stole the body. The angels gave the only explanation, the true reason the tomb is empty. He is not here because he is risen. This is the testimony of God himself through his messengers. This is the testimony of God through his holy word. It is therefore incapable of being wrong. It is authoritative. It is the truth. Christ is risen. Christ is God. He is the only Savior. Our faith is truth. We have hope. We have life in Him. The angels said, remember. Two older ladies were enjoying the sunshine on a park bench. They had been meeting in that park for over 12 years, chatting and enjoying each other's friendship. One day, the younger of the two ladies turned to the other and said, Please don't be angry with me, but I am so embarrassed. For the past while, when we get together, I simply can't remember your name. I'm trying to remember, but I just can't. The older friend stared at her, looking very distressed, said nothing for two full minutes. Finally, with tearful eyes, she said, How soon do you have to know? This group of women had trouble remembering things, too. The fact that they had prepared and bought spices for the Lord's dead body was proof that they had forgotten. The angel calls on them to remember what the Lord had said, to remember what they had already been told. Why did you come here and expect something other than what he had told you, they ask. Because everything Christ said is truth and will happen. Remember was a word to the women, but remember is a word to us too. Because we are very like these women in our forgetfulness. We too forget. We often do not remember the depth and power of His promises to us. And that He is faithful in what He has said He will do. We need to remember that Christ is risen. And that the tomb is empty. We need to remember that death has been conquered and that we have sure and everlasting hope in Him. We need to remember who He is and whose we are. We need to remember that our faith is real and that because He lives, we live also. We need to remember that in light of His resurrection, as our Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
The angels remind these Galilean women that while he was still in Galilee, the Lord said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day he would rise again. The angels tell him, he told you this in Galilee. Don't you remember? In Luke 18, 31-33, in Galilee, the Lord said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Christ said he would rise again, but they didn't understand it, didn't believe it, and didn't remember it. But here, after being reminded, it says in verse 8, that they remembered his words. He did say that, didn't he? They thought. They probably vocalized that to each other. They hear this message from God, and they remember the connection with what Christ promised. And now it's not only dawn on the outside, it's dawn on the inside, both in that tomb and in their hearts. The light was coming on. They're connecting the dots. They remembered his words. And having remembered what Christ said with what they were looking at, an empty tomb, the realization struck them like a thunderbolt that Christ was really alive. And that realization sent them flying out of that tomb to find the 11 disciples to tell them the good news, the greatest news of all. Christ is risen from the dead. And as the song says, death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor o'er the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. It's unknown who wrote the following. Three men, three men were tried for crimes against humanity. Two men committed crimes, one man didn't. Three men were given government trials. Two men had fair trials, one man didn't. Three men were whipped and beaten. Two men had it coming, one man didn't. Three men were given crosses to carry. Two men earned their crosses. One man didn't. Three men were mocked and spit at. Two men cursed back. One man didn't. Three men were nailed to crosses. Two men deserved it. One man didn't. Three men talked while hanging on their crosses. Two men argued. One man didn't. Three men knew death was coming. Two men resisted. One man didn't. One, two, three men died on three crosses. Three days later, two men remained in the graves. One man did.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.